0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth, and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning again. For those who are visiting, uh, if you don't know me, my name's Chad, and I get to have the privilege of coming around the scriptures with you today. <laughs> We have air conditioning, so we're comfortable and then we'll go out in the sun and go down the beach or something later, okay? So that's where we're going today. But we're going to get into the Word today. We actually had some people before our service say, I really feel like today's a day where people, where Holy Spirit wants to highlight the value of His Word and so whether that's something we do in our heads or our hearts or both, uh, we're going to come around His Word together today and, and take that seriously, okay? Amen. Greetings to those joining us now. Uh, on our live stream. I'm going to start in a way that's a bit unusual for me and uh, read out something here uh, about Philip Yancey and his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Philip Yancey, in the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells a story of C.S. Lewis's contribution at a British conference on comparative religions. Experts from all around the world had gathered together and were debating what, if any, core belief was unique to the Christian faith. What distinguishes the teaching of Christianity from any other world religion? After all, other religions claim that their gods had appeared in human form. So the incarnation of the Christian God in Christ was not really a unique concept. Resurrection was also not unheard of in other Religions who also share accounts of men returning from death, a belief they hold, regardless of how much evidence there is to support it, they behold it nonetheless. But having entered the room and then hearing this debate unfold, C.S. Lewis was asked what he believed to be Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis quickly and casually responded, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each of these, in a sense, offers a way to earn approval, Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. The Apostle Paul, of all the biblical New Testament characters in particular, affirms to us over and over again just how central or essential the message of grace is to the very Gospel itself. And so in Acts 20.22, he says this, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in every city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that God assigned for me to do. And that is the work of telling others the good news or the gospel about the wonderful grace of god paul here describes the gospel as basically the message of amazing grace wonderful grace how sweet the sound that's how paul chooses to describe what the gospel is and what his calling in life was in galatians he says i'm so astonished to this church that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of christ and now are turning to a different gospel. So it's kind of a double negative here for this church. Is saying, listen, a different gospel is one that says, don't keep living in grace. Which means the true gospel <laughs> is one that says, grace is not just a one-off thing you get at an altar call. Grace, the message of grace, the message of the gospel is that you, we need to live in the grace of God day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, our life, that is the essence of the Gospel. It is not a one-off thing. It is a day-by-day discovery for recovery that keeps us us going and active in life. God wants us to live in His grace day by day, not just accepting it as a one-off gift. The whole concept of all religions being the same, of all roads lead to... Rome the whole idea that at the end of the day we're all just climbing the same mountain and we'll one day all find ourselves meeting the same God it's just that you chose that path to go up you chose that path you chose that path you chose that path but we're all eventually getting to the own God no no that whole picture describes religion beautifully working to get up to God but that has nothing to do with the gospel Because the gospel of Christ is not the message of what we do to make our way up to God. The gospel is the story of the eternal God who came down to us. Not us climbing a mountain, but us being found in a pit. And God himself from heaven's throne coming down, not even reaching down to that pit, but coming down into the pit as one of us and offering us the opportunity to, number one, lift us out, and then number two, to empower us to live a life above the pit when we realise I am no longer a pit dweller. I'm not a pit dweller that's just been brought out. No, I'm now given a whole new identity, and I am empowered to live a life beyond what pit dwellers do. This is the wonderful essence of God's grace that God did become one of us, Bet Midler. He did actually become one of us and he reached down and offers to lift us up. This is the wonderful goodness of God's grace. And so some guy once said this, grace, some author, pastor, whatever, it has been said that grace is a supernatural gift. It is something that emanates from the heart of a good and generous God offered to undeserving people. When received, God's grace essentially causes two things. It causes us to be what we can't be and also to do what we can't do without Him. Be what we can't be and do what we can't do. And essentially last week I started a two-part mini-series in the lead-up to Nick's visit uh, next week discussing those two elements of God's Grace. I decided to use the book of Romans, not because you can do a series on Romans in two weeks. <laughs> the, the teacher in me knows that's not possible. But because the book of Romans essentially is the book in the Bible that mentions the word grace more than any others. At least 25 times in those 16 chapters. And so I went through the book of Romans, looked up every reference to the word grace. And uh, basically found what theologians have known for a long time. That in the start of Paul's letters, and Romans is the same, Paul talks about what grace does for us you know grace causes us to be something we can't be and then in chapter 12 there's a bit of a gift she uh gift shear shift in gears (laughs) shifting gears where paul says now this is how grace causes you to do what you cannot do that empowering aspect of god's grace and so last week we looked at grace to be in romans 1 to 11 this week grace to do chapter 12 to 16 we are not going to read the whole of those chapters, because that's your homework this week. Am I going to ask for a show of hands as to who read Romans this, this week? I'll do that. Online, I can see those hands. I can see those hands. Thank you. Thank you online for reading Romans. Um, we're going to read Romans 12. But I do want to read some scripture and do some uh, walk by, walking through teaching today. Are you with me? Good morning. Romans chapter 12. And uh, I'll read from verse 1. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, after all, is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed or distributed to each of you. For each of us, just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with the faith, your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraged, then encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, great. Do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. So hate what's evil and cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love and honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord be joyful in hope be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality this is the word of the Lord I heard a few thanks be to God mumbles that's good Lord, as we come and your word today, we thank you that you are the good teacher. We are, as best we know how, open our hearts to be changed by your word. Or we open our minds to understand and we present to you not only our hands, but our entire body as a living sacrifice to act upon what it is you're encouraging us and stirring us to do. So speak to us this morning, Lord, for your people are listening. And we all said, Amen. Amen to that. Verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Um, Some of you grew up with a version that says this is your spiritual act of worship, or reasonable worship. The Greek there is logikos, logikos, from which we get the word logic. And Paul's just basically saying, it just makes sense. Okay, the most logical thing you can do in view of God's mercy, which is basically in view of the first 11 chapters, everything I just wrote to you, therefore, look at it, in view of that, the most logical thing you can do is say, God, I'm yours. It's the most reasonable thing to offer God your heart, no, actually, your whole life. Your body <laughs> as a living sacrifice, all right? Your body, a uh, sacrifice is a one-off thing. No, 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 living. This means every day I've decided that my life is God's. My life belongs to Him. My life belongs to Him. It's the most logical thing you can do when you realise how flippin' good He is. Yeah. All right, And you realise what He's done for us in chapters 1 through 11. This is the most logical thing that you can do is offer yourself to Him. And he says, in doing this, I also want you to be aware that you don't, verse 2, conform yourself to the pattern of this world. Don't conform, don't be conformed, but rather be transformed by a different way of thinking. Okay? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And essentially the pattern of this world really means um, sort of the culture around you, or at least the corruptive or the corrupted part of that culture it speaks to a system of living a way of thinking uh, or the age in which we find ourselves okay so when the romans got this initially and someone did what i did sat down and read it to the congregation they would hear that and say there's certain things about our roman culture our world that we live in the age in which we live that we need to be aware of okay or if paul's focus here is actually on the jewish brothers in the room because sometimes, most of the time in this book, when he says brothers, he's actually speaking specifically to the Jewish part of that congregation. That's a, something you can read about in my book. But when he speaks about brothers, it could be, he's saying to them, there's something about specifically about the corruption of Second Temple Jewish culture that was around at that day. Remember, Jesus often had a go in saying, this corrupt generation, this corrupt generation, there is an age that is exemplified from the people in Jerusalem. And maybe that's what he's doing. We don't really know. You can, dare I say it, talk about that over lunch. Gee, I think I'd get better lines, don't you? (laughs) But the point is, that word can uh, be translated as age. Okay, so some versions will say, um, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape of the present age. I think Eugene Peterson, uh, Alex read from chapter 8 earlier, but this is probably one of his most famous verses in the message paraphrase. He puts it this way. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Roman culture, maybe first century Jewish culture, Australian culture in 2022. In your culture, that you just fit in without thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God so that He can change you from the inside out. When you readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Because unlike the culture around you, which will always drag you down to its level of immaturity, God actually wants to bring the best out of you and develop maturity in you. So there's a different way of thinking. You may have come out of Egypt, but God wants you to get Egypt's thinking out of out of you the corruption of the culture around you and we could do that today in fact their whole ministries one of the things that i've been praying for bill and benny johnson this week in in reading one of the things that bill is most famous for is this verse it's almost like he's built much of his ministry whole books around this verse we need to think kingdom thoughts and not be conformed to the culture in which we find ourselves because we can find ourselves like in that frog boiling slowly in the pot You all know that story a frog that bought you throw a a frog into a saucepan of boiling water he'll know it and he'll jump out of there if you put him in room temperature water and just slowly 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 increase the pressure over time he won't know what's happening but he will be conformed to the culture around him and soon enough you're going to have fried boiled frog okay that's the the whole way of that but thinking is a good thing We are not conformed but transformed by thinking differently. Don't be afraid of thinking. Don't be afraid of thinking. Sometimes social media and our technology and news is unhelpful because number one, we just get too much of it or we get too much of one voice, okay? And we need to hear other voices to help us think, okay? Other times the technology is unhelpful because the technology is actually designed to stop us from thinking altogether. And so, ticked, uh, I shouldn't mention any brand names, but certain technology literally designed to give uh, uh, our generations a lower attention span. Boom, 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 boom. So I can't think for myself. So that's, this is the word of, you've heard me say this before, the difference between entertainment and amusement. Okay, Literally the word amuse means, A means it cancels out. A, muse. Muse means to think to choose something over. Amuse means to not think. And so many of us do that, well, we do that, and that in and of itself is not a bad thing. Sometimes you need to switch your brain off. Okay? But some things are designed to literally just stop us from thinking at all. <laughs> and to actually have those quiet moments. Tech-free, noise-free, just with the trees, just with the ocean, whatever your thing is, where you can just sit and think. Think for yourself, and in that thinking allow God, uh, wash your thinking with the way God thinks Okay, understand, uh, I'm not going to be conformed and boiled slowly in this pot, I want to think God's thoughts and I want to think about thinking God's thoughts and be conscious about that, so we can get rid of our stinking thinking and Christianity is a thinking person's faith stinking thinking, it just came out it didn't really, I think it's probably a Joyce Meyer quote or something like that, yeah Amen. <laughs> For by the grace... Come on, everyone, say grace. grace. Verse 3. The next mention of grace in Romans. Okay, this Therefore, a line in the sand. Therefore, because of chapter 1 to 11, I'm going to speak to you about another aspect of grace I haven't touched on yet. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. What Paul's doing very much here is personalizing grace. I have been given a grace. Paul the Apostle has been given a grace and I'm speaking to each one of you now. Before I was talking about a grace that's for all of us. But now I'm speaking about grace that is for each of us and I'm doing that with the grace specifically that God has given me. And as he says here, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, if we see grace as being God's acceptance that's available for all of us, and the fact that, as I said last week, Jesus paid the the ultimate price to purchase you, then it's impossible to think of yourself more highly than you ought. (laughs) Because God said, I'm worth dying for. But that's not the context of this passage. It's not about thinking of yourself highly in regards to your worth in heaven, which you will never know how, you will never understand how valuable you are in heaven. Because you have no idea how valuable Jesus is. Just admit it. So you will never know how valuable your worth is. But it's now switching gears to say, think of yourself soberly, not according to your worth in heaven, but according to your work here on earth. Understand you are not a cog in the wheel, but you're one piece of the puzzle. You are one body part of many and you all each need one another. And your role is really important. Your job, your grace that God has given to you is really important, but understand that that grace is manifest in community, and the person sitting next to you is just as important as you. They also have a great value to add when you understand the church as a body. So, Paul is very personalizing here. It's not the grace for salvation that we all get, it's a specific grace for service. It's not the, uh, that acceptance of God, which is universal, it's a unique person to person empowerment. That's the shift. Uh, in gears that he is bringing here as he goes into these gifts and in fact the next time we see the word grace appear in Romans is in chapter 15 where he makes a very very similar point 15 verse 15 he says I've written to you boldly in this letter because of the grace that God has given me he was confident and he goes on to say the grace God gave me was to write to Gentile people he had a confidence to write to people he'd never met Because he knew God's called me to serve that community. God has graced me. And so when I know my grace space, my confidence goes up a notch. Okay? Peter spoke to the Peter the Apostle spoke to Greek people too, but he was a bit of a fish out of water. Okay, he could do it. But it wasn't his grace space because he was called. Primary, he had a grace to minister to Jewish people. Paul's the opposite, mate. He's like I've got, I know I have a specific grace to minister to Greeks, and so I can excel in that and really throw myself confidently in that because I know that's where I belong the best. Okay, that's my grace space, and now I want to speak to you about your grace space because to each of us, different gifts have been given. And this is where it goes in verse 4 and 5. He says, For each of us has one body with many members, one physical body, okay, with toes and ears and spleens and all the rest of it. Those members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Belongs to all the others. Well, Chad, I don't belong to anyone. Okay, well, Amplified puts it this way. Individually, We are parts of one another, mutually dependent on each other. Passion puts it this way. We are vitally joined to one another, with each contributing to the others. Each contributing to the others. This is one of the New Testaments and Paul's body of Christ. Passages. Who can tell me where another one is? Really similar, where it's different gifts but same body. Huh? This is Romans? That's another one. Corinthians. Okay, first Corinthians 12. He says, You are one body, many parts. And the other one is starts with an E. Enoch. That, no, that's not in the Bible. No maybe it should be uh no no, no. uh the book of uh, ephesians in ephesians chapter four one body many parts okay these lists are quite different in ephesians there's five gifts okay here in romans there's seven in corinthians there's nine or maybe eight if you look at chapter 14 as well Two lists, very uh, different gifts are listed uh in this passage it's god the father giving the gifts in ephesians it's god the son and in corinthians it's god the holy spirit Wow! All the Conservative evangelicals are happy with me. Got a Trinitarian reference in there. So it's Father, Son and Holy Spirit all being the ones that are gifting God's people. So there are differences. But the one thing that is the same is this. The body of Christ, when it it is mature, maturity is when you have unity and diversity operating together. Unity and diversity operating together. That is maturity. That is maturity. And even one of the things in our culture (laughs) that we have at the moment, that we have, that some cultures have, is a lot of talk about one of those but not the other. A lot of talk maybe about diversity but not unity. And so that's not maturity. Okay, There's actually, there's unity and genuine sense of diversity together and that's what maturity looks like. And he brings up those in those three passages. That's why over here on our Grace Banner, when we talk about the values that we stand for as a church, we link our identity the word grace, with our identity as a body. It comes from this passage. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and uh, Ephesians 4. With Christ our head, the head of the body and our source. How many of you know Christ is our source? Come on, here's the source of our, this church is the source of your home. We celebrate unity. We celebrate difference, diversity. And we celebrate maturity. As we participate in our shared purpose together one body many parts unified and diverse and that is what maturity looks like what's the point chad god has graced me as an individual and that gifting is to be lived out in community yeah. that gifting is to be, and that's why i read that whole passage there because this thing of listing these gifts is couched in being surrendered to god and loving one another and being hospitable and how you deal with other people, because these gifts are not standalone for you. These gifts stand in the context of a contributing community working together. Because community uh, sorry, maturity is not about independence. True maturity is independence. No, no, no. True maturity is interdependence. You have a baby, a child? fully dependent as they grow you want them to grow in independence that's fine they grow in independence but true maturity is being interdependent where i understand i don't have it all i don't have it all together but together we have it all i need you and you need me i need you and you need me and i am needed in this community i'm needed in this community. My community needs me and I need them and that's basically the thrust that theology as he then goes into these gifts. So I won't spend much time looking at this because I believe even Paul here, uh, this is, these uh, seven things are not a definitive list, it's not an exhaustive, it's just probably things that came to his mind as he was writing. Okay, I He could probably do a hundred gifts like this to say, you've all got different stuff. So I'm not one that wants to focus on every little point but he goes on to say we have different gifts according to the Grace given to each of us. You know, in the Greek, we have different charismata according to the charis. Charismata, so we're all charismatics. Okay, all Christians are charismatics. There you go. We have that. Uh, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now, some of you have a Bible and it says in accordance with the faith. It can be either way. So translators actually debate whether this is a subjective thing. If you speak on God's behalf, then just do it according to the confidence level you have or your faith or is it the faith? If you speak on God's behalf, do it according to the convictions of that faith. Do it according to the Christian faith. Yes, they can be both, whatever. Okay, according to faith. It is, if it is serving... Then serve. The work. there is diaconos or diakonia. Uh, we get the word deacon from that, a servant. Or uh, many places it's just translated minister. If it is ministering, then minister. Probably he's speaking about the mundane tasks that just need to be done. If it is teaching, then teach, providing biblical instruction. Again, a public thing. I only just figured this out this morning, but it seems to me that as Paul goes through this list, he goes public, private, public, private. If it's prophesying, very public, do that. If it's what's the next one? serving when no one's watching, then do that. Okay? If it is teaching publicly, then do that. And if it is encouraging, is the next one, do that. And the word there encourage is parakaleo. It's what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. Encouragement means to para, parallel, come alongside someone. That's very personal. This is what Barnabas... Remember the guy in the New Testament called Joseph and they gave him the nickname Barnabas because it means son of encouragement, son of Okay, And Barnabas is uh, famous for coming alongside even the Apostle Paul who did all the speaking. Barnabas came alongside him to encourage him and build him up. Do you know we do not have one word recorded that Barnabas ever said and yet he was a son of encouragement because those of you with this gift you may never be heard by anyone but that person that you one on one went up to because that's the only that's the audience and an encourager is really after they don't want their words heard they wouldn't necessarily want them recorded but yet their name is remembered because encouragement is such a great gift thank you to those of you who operate in that way if it is encouraged then give encouragement if it's giving then give generously obviously this no doubt has something to do with finances there if it is leading Uh, to stand in front is the word there then do that with diligence take it seriously leadership is serious govern well take it seriously and do that and if it is mercy then do it cheerfully some older bibles use the word pity here probably the best better word is compassion for us we don't really pity is not such a great word anymore uh, in in some respects for us but basically this means caring for those who have fallen on hard times and to do that not with a sense of reluctance to do that not with a sense of misery to not patronize people who have fallen on hard times but to do so with joy because people who have fallen on hard times need someone to love them and need someone to, to see hope in someone that there is uh, cheer and joy in the world in fact the greek word therefore uh to do so happily or whatever what does it say to do so cheerfully is the word hilaros to do Hilaros, and then it continues uh give yourself to love etc etc chad what's your point in a general sense each of us can give ourselves to each one of these things because they all basically demonstrate what jesus is like and you are called to look like jesus So in a very general sense, we can all participate in these things. However, some of us find that one thing in particular, maybe two or three of those things, is really our thing. I can do all of them. But my nearest and dearest thing, if I looked at that list, is encouragement. I love paracaleo, coming alongside other people. I can do all of them. But my grace space is Giving. I just love slipping people, couple of $50 notes. When I hear a need or or someone's about to go on holiday, I just love handing over cash. I love giving. I can do all of them, but the one I most love is leading. The one I most prefer is prophesying. The one that floats my boat is mercy. The one that flicks my switch is serving. The one that's me to a T is teaching. Although I can do all of them and all of them represent Christ, I'm learning to discern the thing that is my grace space and to operate in that. And ultimately today, that would be my encouragement in this chapter, finding our grace space and really giving ourselves to that understanding that you have a unique contribution to make. Amen. 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 And so there's seven things and there's probably more. I'm standing up now, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to finish up with some practical pointers as to how to recognise God's grace on your life or how we recognise God's grace on others. Because if I know what God's grace is for me, then I can get on with it. If I know, we know as a community, what God's grace is for someone else, then we can sort of back off and allow someone to get on with it, allowed room. We recognise someone's gift, we can respond. So quick things, how to recognise the grace, gift, on somebody's life this is five tells to look for like in a poker game you've got a tell i know what your tell is five tells five ways to discern the grace on someone's life g r a c e here we go g the god factor the god factor how do you know the grace on someone's life sometimes you don't know what someone's called to do except for the fact that god said something God just said and so Jesse has a whole bunch of sons and one of them is called David and him and the brothers had no idea that David was called to be king until the prophet came and said guess what the Holy Spirit is saying God has graced you little shepherd boy for this task no one could see it there was just a God factor on him this is actually what happened with Barnabas and Paul in Acts 13, where it said, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. Really? We to do that? Why? Because God said, it's just the God factor. It's just that God identified something that possibly was only discernible in and by the Spirit. This is where you can see something on a person's life but have no evidence to go on other than a spiritual gut feel. You understand what I'm saying? Told the story before when I've sat down at a, at a meal at a conference in Sydney, opposite a woman. A meal, put my meal on her table. I said hello. She looked up from her plate, looked at me in the eyes, and I was like, "Oh, this is a prophet." <laughs> I just knew it within a split second. Just the way she looked at me. I'm like, <clears throat> "There's a prophet in the house," <laughs> and that's the first time I met Catherine Ranala, who heads up the Australian Prophetic Council, in. The eastern seaboard, about a minister with her before. I've been in the Philippines when Alex and I went there. Pastor came up to me, shook my hand. As soon as I shook his hand, I'm like, whoa, this guy's an apostle. Start talking to him. Yeah, the guy runs a network of 300 churches all around the Philippines. You know, you just, I, I had no idea. It's just something you pick up and discern in your spirit. And sometimes how we recognize the grace on someone is just that. I just know that I know. I received pro- prophecies. I, of preaching, of being a preacher when I was a teenager at the Gospel Centre. When someone with no evidence, no fruit on my life, just said, God's called you to preach His Word. No fruit on the tree. But they was able to look at me and say, that's a preacher tree. You see, a peach tree is a peach tree, even if there's no peaches on it because it's only three years old. It's still a peach tree. A preacher tree is still a preacher tree, even if there's absolutely no evidence because someone comes along and goes, I can see something that no one else could see. It's the God factor. It's prophetic. It's something like that. R is almost the counter to this. Not the counter, but the complementary. G is the God factor. R is somebody's reputation. Someone's reputation. They're actually known for this. People talk. People see. People observe. And they've developed over time... They have results in a particular area and you go, wow, it's pretty darn obvious that person is graced for that. Because look at them, <laughs> look at the track record, look at the reputation that they are developing. Jesus probably put this best when he simply said, you will know them by their fruit. They have a history of results, measurable, tangible, uh, evidence of God's grace, Barnabas in Acts 11:23. So yes... In Acts 13, they set aside Paul and Barnabas because the Holy Spirit spoke. But in Acts 6, they recognised leaders because they had a good reputation. Peter said, show me those who have a reputation and they released them for ministry. And that's one of the reasons that here at Bayside, as I explained before, we can be slow at times to bring on new leaders because it takes time for people to develop, in a sense, their own reputation before public recognition You say, well, is there a private reality to that? Is there some type of pre-existing reputation? How do people respond to these people? What's the vibe, you know, uh, of this? And um, just the specific example this morning, you know, it was probably a year, 18 months ago. You notice people who are uh, form good friendships, but every Sunday seem to be talking to someone different. You know, Malcolm speaks to me and says, you know what, Brooke's calling me like every Monday to say, can I have these people's numbers? I talk to them on Sunday, I want to follow them up this week. Oh, someone, someone comes up to me after Brooks' first preach and says, well, you've got your, some competition now, Chad in the pulpit, I think we've just found our next favourite preacher. I'm like, oh, okay, well that's a, what is that? This is a reputation that's just developing, it's just, you just hear things, a reputation on people that makes you go, oh, there's some fruit there of a particular Grace, and it may take time to develop because as a fruit tree grows, sometimes the harvest isn't as mature as it is for a 30-year-old tree. Sometimes the fruit may even be a bit sour or a bit smaller, but there's some fruit there. There's fruit there. And so this is the balance of knowing the God factor, God's spoken, and also recognising that a community goes, we're seeing this. this, is the reputation that someone is developing. What's the point, Chad? A calling can happen in an instant. But a reputation takes time and consistency. Okay? And that's determined by our cooperation. God may be responsible for choosing me, but I'm responsible for my reputation. I'm responsible for my reputation. A and C will do together. God factor, reputation, A and C stand for abilities and capacity. What is someone's abilities? How do you know the grace on your life? Or what are you able to do? And what's your capacity? ability and capacity when we're attempting to recognize the grace we ask ourselves these things what is this person good at what are their skill set what are they literally able to do what are their talents and how much can this person carry because they can be two different things you can have two weightlifters that both know how to do the clean and jerk they are able to but one can do 50 kilos and one can do 250 is that even possible I don't know. Dan's not here. But you, you know which one's me, don't you? They both have the same ability, but they can have very different capacity in what they can hold. Okay, And just because you are a fit person, uh, you might be, someone might be a boxer and go, I have the capacity to play an AFL game. I know I do because I'm fit and it, it takes fitness to play an AFL game. Well, you might have the capacity, mate, but if you don't have the ability to kick a ball or to handball or know anything about it, then you don't have the ability. You can have the capacity but not the ability and recognising the grace on someone is recognising where both of those exist uh, together. I'm sure those of you who are grandparents understand this because all of you grandparents have the ability to cook meals, do nappies, look after kids. You know you have the ability to do it. But your capacity over the years can change. Where, where two hours is suddenly enough. <laughs> and we know that. We have, for 15 plus years, we have people in it. We've had people in our church who are what they call retired pastors. There's no such thing, you guys know that. But so called retired pastors, where they have G R A. God's called them the pastor. Had, you look over the shoulder, they had that reputation. They have the abilities that are required, but their capacity at this stage of life is not to pastor and lead a church. (laughs) And uh, I hear a big no there from the... uh... So capacity and abilities can change though. We can work on our abilities. We can work on our capacity. They can increase. You can actually lift a heavier weight now than what I could five years ago because my capacity increases. Sometimes it decreases. And this is the ebb and flow of discovering my grace space the ebbs and flow, about recognising that shifts and seasons and my grace space can move over time. G-R-A-C-E. When asking yourself, what is the grace on my life or somebody else's life, we find out, well, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? Because I like, all of us are called to encourage but some of you really love it. We're all called to be financially generous. But for some of you, that's your thing. It's just your thing. We can all teach in the sense that if you've learned something and you say it to somebody else, that's teaching, okay? All of us can do that. But there's some of us that love this. And that's why I'm going so long. Because there's some of us that just, that just know... That's my thing. I just enjoy it. What do you enjoy? What are you enthusiastic about? What energises you? Flicks your switch and floats your boat. What makes this person shine and come alive? That's a helpful indication of their grace space because our service is supposed to be a joy and not a burden. Operating in your calling, no matter how challenging it is at times, no matter how much, you might just have to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do it because the body needs me. Over the long picture, it's actually something that enthuses me and it should be a joy. How to recognise the grace on somebody's life. Is that helpful? Some, something practical? You hopefully remember that. I remember that. That's a rehash from a few years ago. I know those have been around a while, but I remember it. And I'm able to share that with us. I hope that's helpful to you. I hope that's helpful to you to ponder for yourself. Ian can get up here and goes, I know I'm not like that. I know that's not normally my thing but I know I can do it if God speaks to me about doing it. Because grace calls us to be something we can't be and to do things we would not otherwise do were it not for His amazing grace. Maybe for your workplace, finding out who people's gifts are, but certainly as I was saying this morning, for us as a church, these are the kind of way we see things. And even if you don't know exactly what your grace space is, let me just say, do something. Do something, because the more experience you have, the more you learn what you're good at and what you may be not good at. So, at least do something. One of the ways of this world, one of the ways of the current age, especially for the last two years, has been to have us isolate. Isolate from others, insulate ourselves, and therefore be inactive. It's just what. We've either had to do, we've been told to do, whatever it is, it's part of the culture of the last two years. Isolate, <laughs> insulate, keep to myself and protect myself and therefore be inactive. God's community, God is calling us to be part of community and to be contributors and not consumers. Contributors, not the ways of this world, but to be transformed about in the way we think about what kingdom culture actually looks like. And so, in March, we're actually going to start doing a series, not in the book of Romans, but in the book of Ephesians, uh, called Better Together. Better (laughs) Together. Okay, we are better together. We're going to use the book of Ephesians for that. Just before then, we're going to talk about 20 and 22 in the last Sunday in February looking back and celebrating some of the things over the course of this year of our last 20 years but looking forward understanding that God has called us together as a community to move forward but next Sunday very exciting Nick and Meredith with us including a moving forward statement or going to plan of ordaining new eldership couple which I'm very excited about happening next week thanks for being here today greetings to you those at home it is a hot day we're going to go get out down the beach or go home or something all right